Good morning. Thanks for being here. We've got a new series we started last week. And today I want to introduce you to a writer, if you don't know him already. His name is Sadakichi Hartman, and he lived from 1867 to 1944. And he was an artist in many realms. He loved photography. He loved the stage. He once created a concert out of smells instead of sounds. But the most notably, he was a poet. And he had a profound effect on bringing the art of Japanese poetry into American literature. His mom was from Japan, but she died shortly after childbirth. And so his father was from Germany. So the father took the two boys, raised them in Germany, but he was forced to attend the German Naval Academy as a teen, and he ran off to Paris instead. At one point, he was finally dragged back by his father, who then shipped him off to the United States to live with family. This guy had quite the traumatic upbringing. And to deal with all this angst, he turned to books. And he fell in love with the writings of Walt Whitman. And at 17, he actually tracked down his idol and got to meet him. And then he started hanging around in the writing world. And he impressed the likes of people like Gertrude Stein. And Sadakichi surrounded himself with these artists. He also kind of partied with these artists. But in the mix of all that, he began to write his own poetry. And he ended up turning to his heritage. It says that he didn't really read or write in Japanese, but he wanted to connect to his Japanese heritage. And so he began to study the art forms of Japanese poetry. Floyd Cheung, who was an English professor at Smith College, he recently wrote about Sadakichi, and he noted this. Hartman served as a crucial bridge across literary boundaries. He was a missing link of American poetry between Japan and America, between the 19th and the 20th centuries. The most notable poem that you might know of in America today is the haiku. Has anyone heard of a haiku or have you, were you taught to write one in childhood? It's a very simple form of three lines of poetry. And we've got an example if you want to pop it up on the screen. Um, this is a, a current poem written just a few years ago. Someone shared it on her blog. So you see there's five syllables, then there's seven syllables, and then there's five again. But what Sadakichi tried to show Americans was that there was a depth to it. First, to access the simplicity, but then recognize that the content was about the depth of the human soul. And it often used nature in order to connect with this, but try to communicate the, the highs and the lows of the human spirit. And he said, actually, I want to teach you about a poem called the Tonka. The Tonka was actually the most popular form of poetry in Japan from the 9th to the 19th centuries. And let's pull up a, a section that Sadakichi wrote. In this, you'll see that there's five lines, but the first three are five, seven, five syllables. That's where we get our haiku. But the last two are seven and seven. I'm going to read this out loud. Tell what name beseems these vain and wandering days, like the bark of dreams that from souls at daybreak strays, they're lost on trackless ways. You can feel that depth there. Now, this is one stanza, and I'm going to pull up, have you pull up the next stanza, that actually we're going to watch that Sadakichi likes to play and break with style. Because you got to know the rules, but then you can break them, right? 
So actually, Tonkas didn't normally rhyme, but he added that to his structure. And if you start to count, like sometimes I do, winter, spring, who knows, white buds from the plum tree's wing, and mingle with the snows, that's six. So he's broken it right there. So critic Francis Hodge just said, there's a playfulness in regard to boundaries, an acknowledgement of their existence, but a willingness to traverse them. So the reason we're talking about playful poetry today is it's connected to our psalm. And I was drawn to the Tonka itself because I learned its history was in song. Because Tonka was originally written to be sung or chanted. And it, the Japanese people would pass down their history, their oral tradition, sending it to the next generation. And often they would sing it. And from this, the Tonka poem was born. And today, we're looking in the book of Psalms again. And it is a song, but today it's specifically a poetic form that I want us to look at. Because David wrote this song, and he did so in a specific structure. We've been, we're going to look at Psalm 34, and if you want to eventually head there, I would love for you to see it all written out, whether you grab a Bible in the pew or see it on your phone. It's really neat to see the full form. We're going to have to divide it up on screen in order for us to read it today. But Hebrew poems, they tended not to rhyme, but here's the literary structure they used. They often used parallelism. They used repetition. We see hyperbole, onomatopoeia, where words are chosen based on the sounds that they make. And at times, Hebrew poetry was written as an acrostic. And our poem today is that. An acrostic can either spell something out with the beginning of letter of each line, or it can be through the alphabet. Psalm 34 was written through the Hebrew alphabet. Mikey, I would love for you to read the whole thing for us, and then we'll talk about the things we find inside. Psalm 34. I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. I prayed to the Lord, and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed, and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his godly people. For those who fear him will have all they need. Even strong young lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. Come, my children, and listen to me, and I will teach you to fear the Lord. Does anyone want to live a life that is long and prosperous? Then keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. His ears are open to their cries for help. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. He will erase their memory from the earth. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. For the Lord protects the bones of the righteous. Not one of them is broken. Calamity will surely destroy the wicked. 
and those who hate the righteous will be punished. But the Lord will redeem those who serve him. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. So we're saying this is an acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet. So you see 22 verses there. But this is an irregular acrostic because there's 22 verses, 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. But actually, if we look back at verse 5, if you can see how each line is broken up into two parts. In this particular line, we've got two different letters of the alphabet that start in 5. So that's how we get all through 22. So by verse 20 21, we've hit through the end of the Hebrew alphabet, and then the last verse is a bonus. So I was thinking about how Sadakichi played with his poem. And so David here, he's like, I'm going to do an acrostic, messing with it a little bit. Did he do it just for fun, or is there something in there that people of his day would know? There's a lot of different guesses. We're not sure his poetic license here, but it's really interesting to look at. And it's also, there are some patterns in the Hebrew that can be looked at if you're reading it in reverse, and some things he does for the middle letters. It's just fascinating that he wrote this in such a way that there were so many different forms. And I had a good time just looking into um, how creative this was. And sometimes that gets lost in translation since we don't have the original language to see how it all lines up. But even in our English translations, we can see a number of play on words here because he talks about a lot of senses and he talks about hearing and seeing, taste and see that the Lord is good. And then Yahweh comes back and he also is seeing our pain. He's seeing the brokenhearted. There's a lot of, of different play on what we're doing, what God is doing. And it's very interesting. Someone pointed out that how verse 18 and 20 is very um, intriguing. Verse 18 says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Like he sees that our hearts are going to break. But in verse 20, God says that, that the, right, the bones of the righteous will not be broken. So it's like our hearts are going to break, but our bones are okay. So there's just little, little plays on words here. And in fact, when Jesus was on the cross and they were checking to see if he was really dead, and they pierced his side with a sword, instead of breaking his legs. And they attribute, um, they reference this psalm saying that no legs would be, no bones would be broken. And finally, we have the musical elements of this song. And historians say that if you look specifically at verses 6 and 17, there are patterns there that would note that was kind of like a refrain. And also, in a number of verses, there's a very call and response structure. I called to the Lord, and he answered. That's said over and over in this psalm. I called to the Lord, and Yahweh answered. And so if you were singing this with a group of people, the leader might start, and the people could respond. So there's a very beautiful call and response there. And if you go back to the top of this psalm, and we pull that up on the screen, there was a little note about the author and the situation that he's writing about. It says that David, this is a psalm of David, regarding the time he pretended to be insane in front of Abimelech, who sent him away. It's a strange note to add to the top of a song. I won't go into full detail here, but in 1 Samuel chapter 21, we learn that David was being threatened by King Saul. King Saul was like, I'm going to kill you. Pretty blatant. He said he was going to kill him, told everybody around he was after him. So David went on the run. But the first person he tried to go take refuge with was another king. And people kind of gave word to David like, this guy might kind of be jealous of you too. 
I'd watch your back. So here he's trying to run away from being killed, doesn't want this king to now try to kill him. So he decides, I'll just act insane, and the king left him alone. Like, I don't really need you around me. So at least he saved, felt like his life was saved. So this poem, this song, poetic song, we don't know if he wrote it at right after, like while he was still experiencing this trauma. If so, he's probably writing a song to calm his fears, to breathe through his anxiety, to remind himself to trust in the Lord. Or maybe he's looking back on his past and trying to recall through creativity and song, like, remember when God delivered me. Like He didn't want to forget how that felt and how it felt to be delivered. And then we can look at these verses more clearly. It gives us a different perspective to read. And God freed me. Look, I, he freed me from all my fears. Like, think about the fears David was working through here. He didn't know if he would live to see the next day. You know, in my desperation, I prayed and the Lord saved me. Have you felt that desperation? Have you prayed prayers of desperation? I think we've all probably experienced that on ourselves or on behalf of someone we love who is in trouble. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. I think that he's got some hope here. David's like, I'm speaking this out into the world because I want to believe it's true. I want to believe, Lord, that if I serve you, that you will help me. And the righteous person may face many troubles, but the Lord rescues each time. You can see that hope and that trust. And sometimes it helps when we sing our worship songs, right? And we sing these words. And sometimes it's an act of faith to sing and say that I believe that. And other times it comes to mind. When I'm struggling, a song will come to mind. And it will remind me truths about God. And that gives me the strength to keep moving on. So David here, he was both processing and praising. And I just think, like, he's got all this stuff. And he used music as a way to work through it and as a way to praise God. And it's super creative and, like, going through the alphabet at the same time. Like, I just like the levels of nuance upon nuance of this psalm. But the neat thing is that David not only sings on his behalf, but he calls to all of us who love the Lord. He reminds us, you can put this next screen up, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And don't you need to hear that often? The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. But he also challenges us to taste and see that the Lord is good, to turn away from evil and do good, to search for peace. That's a challenge for us. That those who follow Jesus, we have options to praise. We have reminders of God's deliverance. And we have a call to live out. But let's consider what we can gain by reading this psalm. Well, I'd say that we're all processing different things in our lives right now. Maybe you're going to experience a new challenge. You're taking on a new challenge at work. Or, or maybe you're trying to look for a new place to live. Maybe you are dealing with healing from physical pain or from broken relationships. Maybe you're just praying about, how do I go face this situation tomorrow when I have so much anxiety about it? God is with us, and I think what's beautiful here is that just as we watched David in this psalm, 
We can process things through our creativity. In fact, creative arts, it brings a catharsis and it's used in therapy and it has a real impact. Uh, Kevin and Jill Shad, who are members of our church here, their daughter Claire is actually a music therapist. And I, call, I talked with her this week and I wanted to ask her a couple of questions. And her reasoning for going into music therapy was she knew music was powerful, but she herself had a physical incident. She had an injury to her jaw and she was told she might never sing again. And she was going to be a singing major in college. And she was devastated. But another, another doctor looked at her and said, why don't you try to sing as your physical therapy? And so as she's working back, trying to sing again and realizing it was bringing healing to her physically, and she said this, I started thinking about the population where people hadn't been counted out, how they had been discouraged by infrastructures that wouldn't support them. And it drew me to mental health and military medicine and music. She was able to use music for her physical healing, and she realized she wanted to go into this as a career to help people with music for their mental well-being. And I asked her to share a specific story, and I'd like to read it to you in full. I have a patient I'm working with right now who has a traumatic brain injury and is wanting to learn guitar. We started off our one-on-one -on -one sessions by just seeing what he knew. Immediately, when he had the guitar, the space, and the therapeutic environment, he was able to play a John Prine song from memory. His traumatic brain injury really affects his long-term memory, and he gets tripped up when he tries to talk to others on the unit. When he looked up, there were tears in his eyes because he hadn't played the guitar in over 20 years, and he remembered every word to this song. He said, thank you for making me feel safe. I find that music therapy differs from things like music education and that we take it to the next processing level. I then worked with this patient to identify more songs that he knew, which led us to writing songs about important stories in his past so he can hopefully remember them as time goes on. Just like David did in this song, they wrote a song together about his past to help him work through things and to help him remember again. Sometimes we need to process and we need to remember. We need to remember what we've gone through. We need to remember the people who were at our side who walked us through things. And we need to remember that that was Jesus being present in our lives, being present through his spirit, being present through other people, that he doesn't leave us, that he is close to the brokenhearted. And we can dwell in these memories. And you know what? We can be, use our creativity as a catharsis. So what is your creative catharsis? For Claire's patient, it was music. For Sadakichi, it was writing poetry. For David, it was both music and poetry. Maybe you write poems or songs. Maybe you knit. Maybe you construct things. Maybe you bake. Maybe you are really good at your creativity comes in the form of the relationships you build or the ways you organize events. There's so many forms of creativity, but I think that God gives it to us because he's a creative God. Have you noticed? There's some beautiful sights out there. There's some strange things that we see. Think about the sounds and the smells and the taste. 
there's so much creativity in the God who created us. And we get that opportunity to create as well. And I think he gives it to us as a joy. But I also think he gives us to us as like a way to process. As a way to work through. To remember his goodness. To remember how far we've come. And to know we have hope. And so today I want us to end our time remembering our good and creative God. And if you would like to take a challenge during our communion time, I want us to remember Jesus. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. He saves us from all our troubles, just as this psalm says. And as we taste and see that the Lord is good, we're going we're gonna to physically taste right now and during our communion time. But you were given a card and a writing utensil, hopefully. And I just want you to use our communion time as a bit of creative time. And if you'd like to take a challenge and try to write a haiku or a tonka or an acrostic, go for it. I know not everybody's a poet. It's okay. Maybe you want to use this time to write down the people who walked with you through times, through anxiousness, through fears. Or maybe you want to schedule something with yourself. I would love for you to take whatever you are creative with, whatever brings you joy and brings you peace, And I want you to do that this week. And if it's not something you can do right here during communion time, I'd like you to write it down. Like, give yourself a note. Say, on Tuesday at 7 p.m., I'm going to do this thing that brings me joy. And try to connect to the Lord through that. So if you will, I'm going to pray. We're going to have a time of communion. And we're going to have two people serving down here. If you would, just take your time. Come down, receive the elements, and head back to your seat. Take them. We're going to have some music playing write some. We're just going to have a time to breathe, take in the creativity of this room, take in the creativity of the song and the communion before us. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you give us music and poetry, that you give us things to do with our hands and our minds and our hearts. Thank you for being a creative God. And thank you for giving us the ability and the call to be creative. We come before you now and say thank you for redeeming us on the cross and for giving us a creative way to remember it, to remember your body and your blood through this taste of food. And help us to remember you each day this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.